Chingyi Chen and Casimira created the installation Breathing in a Time of Disaster in 2022 for the Jack Straw New Media Gallery. I sat down with Chingyi and Cassie in the Jack Straw Studios to talk about the recorded breaths that compose this exhibit and the power of holding space for each other's stories. Chingyi started us off by describing what it's like to be in the exhibit. If you enter the exhibit, um, on the right-hand side is video of the first iteration of our project, which is a show that we did in 2019, where we invited Houston area uh, community artists and leaders to do a story circle process. And um, that's just where they share time equal time and space and tell a story in response to an open-ended question. And then they made art, um, and that includes a beautiful meal, that included a ritual around water, that included performance, creative writing, poetry, that included uh, video, sound work, um, film, and dance. And um, we put it up in our house. We emptied our house and we put up uh, like a pop-up one day and a night of performance. And so that's what's on um, the right-hand side when you first walk in. And then in front of you, there's an iPad where um, you can choose to listen to um, different zip codes um, and also a introduction, which has like a lot of the um, the folks who are in each area um, introducing themselves, and then they breathe. And we have also worked with a sound artist, Judy Twett, who sodifies climate change data, and um, using the data from that zip code in terms of the air quality working with the breath recording and then industrial sounds um, basically has made these soundtracks that are influenced by the data. So the more polluted that area is, the more industrial sounds there are, and then the less polluted, there's more breath. Um, so if you come to the exhibit, you'll see um, on the left-hand side of the wall, there is the Seattle area stream and on the right hand side there's the Houston area stream and they're supposed to be simultaneous but you can pause them and so the very first thing you would listen to are the intros and then some of the soundtracks of the breath together and then it goes into the individual zip codes so you can either choose by zip code or you can listen to the stream that it's in and it will be the zip code that comes up and then it'll be whoever's uh, contributed in the zip code. And it could be a ritual, um, and that is like visual art, or it could be film, or it could be writing, it could be a sound piece. And we invited folks to basically contribute something that they wanted to offer to the public that responded to the phrase breathing in a time of disaster. And then also on the right-hand side, there's the stream for Houston folks. And then on the way left side, there's uh, the altar of action, which is just a space for folks to 
uh, make their own ritual, offer their own ritual. So there's paper, like colored paper. You know, there's ways to tape things to the wall. Um, and then if folks want to bring stuff to leave, they can. And um, there's also some pamphlets that have, like, some of the artists' bios, photos, and descriptions of the ritual. installation statement, it says, in collaboration with climate data sound artist Judy Twett, you conduct a breath chorus ritual which includes Houston and Seattle area collaborators. What inspired you to to focus on the breath when you were creating this project? So I grew up with severe asthma, so I think of it as three threads. And I always thought of it growing up as an individual response, but Living through Hurricane Harvey um, and also the tax day floods, you know, there was like a lot of air um, inequality um, and pollution after the floods and looking at which neighborhoods were impacted disproportionately. It would be BIPOC communities, poorer communities. I was also um, non-binary trans and seeing also the impact that it had on those communities. I started thinking of breath and air as more of a collective right and thinking about who has access and who doesn't have access. Then the third thread is the thread of meditation. Um, During that time, um, it was a really stressful time. And uh, actually Cassie and I were both commuting on the most dangerous freeway uh, in the United States. And I felt like I was gonna get into an accident, like personal disaster, which did end up happening. Um, and so during that time, I turned to meditation, and that is noticing the breath, being present. And so those are the three uh, threads that were present for me. For me, I grew up on a, in a rural area and did farm work as a child. So I labored as a child for my family's business, and that business was hauling hay and straw. So I would be in the fields, and breathing was really difficult for me. I was constantly inhaling farm fumes and dust. And when I became an adult and stopped doing this labor, that's when I I learned that I couldn't breathe through my nose at all. It's like I had developed this reflex of not breathing through my nose uh, so that, I don't know, I just wouldn't inhale dust and sneeze a lot. And um, I also grew up having a severe, like, anxiety about fear of people discovering who I am uh, as a trans person. Uh, I've, I'd always known as a teenager and a middle schooler um, that I was different from everyone and, and hid it. So the anxiety, the way my anxiety also plays out is I will hold my breath. I'm even doing it right now, kind of like forgetting to breathe fully. And um, similarly to Chingy, 
It wasn't until I started practicing like yoga and meditation in college that I, I even learned how to breathe properly. And just to think of this very simple thing, I wasn't learning yoga. I was learning just to breathe and allow myself space to consider my own body and what its needs were. And then using that uh, to apply it to the personal disasters that have been in my life or thinking about how, how to help others breathe uh, who are facing similar experiences. And then Chingy and I experienced these floods together. Um, and I had been doing some food justice work and understanding the disparity of how people are treated in, in the Houston area that the floods exacerbated greatly and kind of arose out of those experiences. Will we survive disaster? By we, I mean me. My people. Not all air comes softly. At this point, all my breaths are yawns. To equalize the day and feel leveled by this sigh. To not be broken and allow this exhaust to lacquer us Water, in fortitude. I can only feel this body one breath at a time. Take a deep Must breath we know where and we dive come right from in. To divine? Yes, be a where body in brilliant mess aggregated into our line, our umbilical cord as individuals My breath lives outside my body. My breath needs to catch its breath. As my breath in a hammock drinking planet. out of a pineapple. As groups my of breath filing its nails. In your installation, there is a sense that you want to invite people to come in and be a part of it and interact with it. How did you get to a point where that became something you wanted to focus on? I started this project actually as a, I'm a writer, a creative writer, so as a writing project. And as I was writing this manuscript, you know, I was responding to the flooding and I I actually started it because I couldn't go to work because the highway was flooded over and, um, and I was stuck in my house. And so I started writing, you know, just in response to like the, the news stories um, and I was writing the speculative, like, flood narrative. And I wanted to hear other people's voices. And um, I think that's always my impulse. And so I learned this story circle method from community-based theater. And what I had learned was a process. And I learned it through a Los Angeles-based uh, theater company called Cornerstone Theater. And they have this process where they often work with communities. I think a lot of this methodology um, they used in rural communities um, where they would put on these story circles. Um, And one of the reasons they would do that is to kind of surface uh, what are the larger questions, what are the larger tension points in the community, and then choose a play that they would rewrite. You choose a classic play they would rewrite, and then they would cast local and professional actors to be in the production together and it would be this uh, community production. And so I really like the method of, it's really simple, is is just holding space for people to tell their stories and also hold space, which is actually the more important part, is holding space for each other's stories and then seeing where there were resonances and threads across 
So, you know, I think I'm always interested in collaborating with others. Um, I wanted to collaborate with Cassie, uh, my partner. And I think we wanted to invite folks from different communities and built across communities. So trying to think of, you know, and as Cassie said, we wanted to focus on BIPOC communities and trans non-binary communities specifically. Um, those are the communities I'm part of. And so just wanting to build um, connections across those communities. When we were in Houston, there was a couple of things that happened. There was, there was the floods and Chingy, I knew Chingy was working on this project and wanted to collaborate with me. And I was always wondering how I might fit into it. Another thing that happened in, in Houston was there was um, in the shipping channel, there's these f- large storage containers for petroleum products that are either being offloaded from barges or putting back on barges. And a group of them that were old, they're built intended to last for 50 years, apparently. And they're all, all of these containers in this, this one area were over 50 years old and being strung along by the companies that own them. But anyways, they lit on fire because they're old and burned for four days. So, so it was a field of, if you've ever driven past one of these large drums that is the size of an enormous building, there is a field of 50 of them or 100 of them that mostly burned over the course of four days and blackened the sky all over Houston. And um, if you look at the flyer that for that original show, the image was an image I took of the sky from the burning. But afterwards, there were lots of community meetings that occurred uh, because the response of the local government was so terrible. And the petroleum companies were blatantly doing things like turning off emissions towers that test the air in certain communities so there would be no data to to sue them with and and people were getting mad and coming and forming all of these impromptu quickly gathered community meetings to discuss what to do and create collective action and it occurred to me in attending many of those meetings that the stories people were sharing weren't necessarily being recorded um, certainly the events were being documented, but I was thinking about how political actions, like they need a place to be archived and they need a place to be worked on in ways that are not necessarily political, but ways that we can transform them into and keeping those communities together and continually working on the problems that they face and art can be the method that keeps people coming back together to communicate. I mean, it's one thing to come together and complain, right? Mm-hmm. But, like, that gets tiring to just keep coming together and complaining. So if it doesn't build community, what builds community is sharing joy and sharing the resilience we all have and strategies. So I was thinking about all of these things. And and Chingy's project that they had talked about with me, and that's when we started um, applying ourselves to gather 
people together. My name is Citlali Alvarez Almendaris. I use he and they pronouns. Jorge Galvan Flores, East End, Houston, Texas. My name is Henry, and I live in Linwood. My name is Calvin Burnett, Duwamish Land, Seattle, Washington. Emily Pinckney, Madison Gaines, she, her, they, Northgate, them. Seattle. My name is Atlas 98405. Being a poet myself, sometimes I recite a poem so many times, I start to forget why I wrote it in the first place, and I have to remind myself why I wrote it. And so I want to ask you two the same question. Why did you create Breathing in a Time of Disaster? What was your intention when you made it? I think for me, it's um, thinking about the breath that connects us and that we all have that right to clean air. And, and thinking about how, you know, our struggles with breath. And there's so many. So we started this project before COVID, you know, uh, before the George Floyd protests, for instance. But, you know, like as time goes on, there are so many ways that we're impacted by not being able to breathe, right? So for me, the project is about exploring how we're connected in those ways. And then how do we, you know, like what are the rituals and the creative strategies that we have that we can share with each other to survive, and to make meaning, and then to also, you know, like learn other ways of being together. What did you learn about yourselves during the process of creating your installation? I think that I, when I started it, you know, I had this desire to connect with others. Um, but I feel like I really learned how connected I am with others um, and what that meant to me because uh, I think it's one thing to like have this idea and then another to to like hear people's stories and sit with people's stories, you know, and like hold them as sacred and then see what they want to offer, you know, back. So I feel like I've learned a lot from this experience and also, I feel like this exhibit, its installation is just is a threshold to walk through um, because I think I realized that this is like a much larger project, you know, inviting people to tell breath stories and like honoring their breath stories. Like for me, uh, meditation, for instance, is not easy and I'm always distracted or like, you know, maybe not making the time for that. It just is like my way of practicing that to try to make space for that and, and make space for um, like being present. Um, for me, I have a background in technology support and I have always done tech support for creative places like an advertising agency, a design firm, an art school. And I always found myself wanting to be on the actually like making the work or doing a different role than making sure that the tech works. And now that I'm in an actual position to do those things in my career change, 
I still am doing tech support because this was a very tech-heavy uh, installation. And there was lots of... It, it felt more connected to when things failed than I had ever felt before. <laughs> that was that was something that like I noticed. And um, when I was supporting others, I had an infinite amount of patience. It was hard for me to give that same kind of patience to myself when I was both the artist and the tech person. It was really hard for me to, you know, like... <laughs> sit in both roles. This is one of the reasons why I appreciate the staff at Jack Straw being there for some of the tech support because I was able to step out of that role a little bit and be like, you know, this is an issue that I could solve, but there is another person here that I can ask to do it instead. And I, I took the first steps of um, doing that kind of thing instead of just going and trying to fix it myself. So I think... I think that's a positive change that happened for me while we were working on this. It's like baby steps, right? <laughs> Jingyi Chen and Casimir's installation, Breathing in a Time of Disaster, was created through the Jack Straw New Media Gallery Residency Program. Podcast interviewer and producer is Carlos Nieto. Engineer is Daniel Gunther. The Jack Straw Artist Residency Programs are made possible with support from the Seattle Office of Arts and Culture, For Culture, the Washington State Arts Commission, National Endowment for the Arts, Rainier Institute and Foundation, Lester and Phyllis Epstein Foundation, Arts Fund, and individual contributors. To learn more about our arts programs and hear more podcasts, visit us at jackstraw.org.